0: It was this beautiful day in Chicago. I had just jumped on a plane with all my gear to cover one of the hottest music festivals in the world. I remember having on this short crop top and these small jean shorts, and I had found the lady who told me to walk to the very end of the row of media, and I would be sitting beside the other Canadians. Lollapalooza. This year, Eminem would be headlining. And I remember walking up to my tent and thinking, oh my God. I have to broadcast beside this girl. Her legs went up to her shoulder blades. Her blonde hair had like zero roots. Her cheekbones were gorgeous. And she had those eyes, you know, like the eyes that almost take up half your face. She was uh, beautiful, stunning. And I was intimidated to say the least. It was only then that she reached over. She stuck her hand out and she was like, hi, I'm Liz. (laughs) There is something totally different about this girl. She didn't seem self-conscious, not like the other beautiful TV broadcasters I had met in the past. She seemed real and she seemed unique. We had a blast that weekend and there was a group of us, mostly her friends, a few of mine. And it didn't even matter if we saw each other that often. But when we did, I felt welcomed and mostly it was because of her. Years went by and we didn't see each other much, but I followed her career. She became the host of a TV show called The Launch. She was on eTalk, she got married and moved to LA, and there her career continues. It was only then that I found out about her condition. She was suffering from what most people called the butterfly disease. This is a disease that makes the skin as delicate as an insect's wing. It's a disease that can kill. Blisters appear due to a small injury. Maybe it's the heat, maybe it's a simple scratch, but from there, infection can result. And in some cases, the clusters form inside the body and in the lining of the mouth and the stomach. This is what Liz was suffering from. And today on the show, to all the moms and dads with children with rare diseases or with family members with special needs, I want to introduce you to a woman who's become a role model to millions while silently suffering from epidermalosis volusia. She continues to be an inspiration to her community and to all. And I think I wanted to tell you that story because sometimes a rare disease can also make someone a more loving, caring, empathetic human being. This is my podcast, Love and Special Needs. So we're gonna focus on the love today with the butterfly girl, Liz Trenier. Liz, thank you so much for being here and telling your story. Uh, Can you tell, uh, I guess just start right from the beginning?
1: Ooh, well, my journey with epidermolysis bullosis, simplex, um, try spelling that, it was 26 letters long. And, you know, as a kid trying to learn what you have. We just shortened it to EB is what's kind of known in the community. Um, but I was first diagnosed with epidermolysis bullosa. I think they knew that I had it when I was around the age of like five. But the problem was we were misdiagnosed so many times. My mom first noticed the first blister on my big toe. When I was seven days old, I was in my crib, she picked me up and there was a huge blister on my baby, my big toe. And she was like, that's weird. Like, where did that come from? And so what happened was she took me to the doctor and the doctor was like, listen, like, did you burn her? Are you, did you burn her? And she was like, no, no, I didn't burn my daughter. And so, um, from that moment on, you know, we, they started noticing various things with like my diapers. And then when I started crawling, my knees were all like, it was just, little bit of nightmare after nightmare after nightmare with no answers really. So they kind of went on a quest looking for this diagnosis. Finally my mom um saw someone and they think they said that they think it was epidermalysis blosa. But the interesting thing is, is I didn't get my full, full, full diagnosis because all of my punch biopsies kept coming back either inconclusive or with the wrong subtype. So I didn't get my full diagnosis until I was 30 years old. Wow. Which, and I mean, at the time when I was growing up, the internet wasn't around, so my mom was not um able to Google things, you know, she had to go through medical records she they were sent to a doctor in Detroit. they were sent kind of all over, and it's such a rare disease, and it's it's so interesting. I feel in the last few years, I've just started calling it a disease because when I was little, I refused to call it a disease. I always called it a skin condition because. Of the stigma around the word disease and what kids would say if i had a disease and you know being in the playground and kids talking about oh that's the diseased girl so it's really interesting the last few years i've fully embraced that it is a disease it's a it's a very rare disease but it's it's a strange turnaround and full circle kind of
0: um can you tell us about not having the diagnosis. Um, I keep thinking about your mom, you know, my journey, having my diagnosis with my son, for me, that was almost a relief. You know, it was like, okay, now we can start working on these symptoms. How are we going to get them under control? But for your mom, I can't imagine the stress of not knowing what was going on and not getting the diagnosis until, you know, you're, you're basically an adult,
1: you know, if I was ever to be born into a, a family that was appropriate for me, my mom is a nurse and she also within her cancer nursing, she deals with skin cancer. So she was well equipped to take care of my EB, especially my wounds and my dressings every night, and my skin care and my tubby time, all of that, that good stuff. Um, but I do remember like sitting in doctor's offices and just having these giant question marks. Like we would, we would go in and the doctors were like, we don't know enough about this condition. We don't know why this is an infection and this isn't an infection and and why it's spreading because with EB often, you know, a blister starts, but then they spread. And if you can't shut it down it it, you know if an infection gets it it starts streaking and then it turns into antibiotics and ointments and all that good stuff so I think for my mom and my dad I I can't imagine the courage that they had to have growing up with me you know like you've got this newborn baby you have no real answers you are trying your best to just keep afloat in so many ways you've got a 4-year-old running around as well and and then you're also every time you pick your child up you're worried that you're going to break a blister on their body or hold them too tightly and cause a blister like those those intimate things for a parent to experience i i personally i talked to my parents about this a lot how how much courage and how brave they were and I admire them and have so much respect for them. I don't know if I could do the same.
0: I wanna know, first of all, and I've heard you say, you know, blister, but what is it like? What is EB like? Is it, uh, what's your severity like? And how is it on you and other people who have it as well?
1: So the way I explain EB, the way I was taught as a little girl to explain it to my friends is, we are all born with layers of skin and in between our layers of skin we have sticky glue that holds it together and we with eb were born without those fibers the stick without the sticky glue that's holding it together that's binding our our layers together so what happens is treat it like a butterfly's wing it's super super delicate wear and tear like from a a seam in a shirt or you know a band-aid peels it right off it's super fragile and depending on what subtype you have, it's more severity. So I have simplex, there's also dystrophic and there's also junctional. Um, And I kept being diagnosed with dystrophic, but we knew I was more on the um, less severe side. I didn't have all of the attributes that dystrophic had. My mom and I, we we all knew we had simplex, but the diagnosis kept coming back wrong. But either way, um, simplex is, you know, I deal with more so hands and feet, wearing and tearing, blistering. And, you know, I deal with just in general, like as I'm growing older, I'm finding a correlation between when I'm stressed out, when I'm dehydrated, when I'm lacking sleep, those things also cause, you know, uh, me to blister. Like I find that if I'm, if I'm traveling around the world for my job and in airports and I'm walking around and I'm exhausted, and I'm dehydrated. I can sense that my body's about to pr- produce a blister somewhere. And if I'm wearing a pair of pants for too long, I'll get a blister. If I'm wearing a bra for too long, I get a blister. So that's kind of, I've been able to navigate it a lot more mm-hmm. now, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like, we're just fly by the seat of our pants, figure it out as we go.
0: <laughs> and is this, in some cases, like you said, you, yours isn't as severe, but in some cases, it could lead to infection, which could lead to death, right? For certain people who have this, this this disease.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I speak to this, but I am so fortunate to have simplex because if you look at some of the kids who suffer from dystrophic or junctional, I mean, they're, they're bound to a wheelchair. They, they lose their, their hands. They, they have um, their skin starts to web. They, so their fingers aren't, aren't appearing anymore. You know, it all becomes one big blister and they've got, they've got, um, graph uh, skin grafts happening and they get massive infections and they can get them internally and they lose their teeth and their hair and my heart breaks for the EB community and I mean I remember as a kid feeling like I would go to a support group later on in in my childhood and um, I was one of the milder ones and I would leave those meetings so upset that my mom and dad had to like It was, it was a hard car, hard car ride home because I would feel in some ways, some guilt being like, why am I doing so well? And, you know, it just broke my heart to know that there are kids out there suffering so severely. But the good news is I believe in my lifetime, there will be a cure for EB because they're getting so close with their clinical trials. And I don't think I wouldn't change growing up with EB for a second because it taught me so much about humans and compassion and empathy. But for every child out there who is born with EB, for every parent who has a kid who has EB, I want a cure for them.
0: So let's talk about the cure for a second, and, and this is something that I find really fascinating and interesting. And even from the time that I got my diagnosis, sitting in a geneticist's office, I still was fascinated with the concept of uh, genes and with you know how they find cures, how, how what you have to do, how there's mutations and deletions, and. I guess so for you, if you ever decide to have children, would EBP be passed on to your child? Is it a genetic syndrome or is it something that it just happens and is a mutation and no one knows why?
1: Well, so for my exact instance, when I was born, um, we obviously did genetic um, testing throughout my family just to make sure that no one was carrying the gene. And I was in fact a genetic mutation of my parents' genes coming together moving forward, I now have a 50-50 chance of passing it on um, to a child. So there's some incredible options that we have through IVF where you can essentially select an embryo that is tested for the EB gene and you select the one that does not have EB and and obviously hope that it works out. So there is some gene therapy. There's um, so much more research going on. I, I was at a dinner party years ago um, with a girlfriend who's an actress and and she was from London, England, filming in Toronto. And we kind of got talking about what our parents do for a living. And I, uh, she's like, oh, my mom's a doctor for a super rare condition in London, England. Turns out one of my girlfriends is like, oh, what is it? And she's like, it's called Epidermolysis so you probably don't know it. And she's like, no, Liz has that. And so fast forward, I go to London, England with my husband, and they actually made some room in their schedule to come to see me. And I said, You know, I've been having a hard time getting diagnosed. I don't, they don't know what gene to test. And she actually, the doctor actually wrote out exactly what gene they needed to test. And then I brought that back to Canada, and then they were able to test it and so on and so forth. And I was properly diagnosed. But it's just, there's so much advancement in the last 20 years with EB, and there's new treatments all the time. I mean, they're doing, Things like bone marrow treatments—they're doing so many, you know, gene therapy treatments that I don't—I don't even know about. Um, and researchers are saying it is absolutely possible that in this lifetime we will have a cure
0: that's unbelievable. That whole yeah. story gave me shivers. I have to tell you because like I actually want to be in tears a little bit because my son is um he is a 50/50 as well. So if he decides to marry and have a child, it's 50/50, but for his syndrome, it progressively gets worse as um you know in generations. So he was a mutation and then as it goes on, his child would be, you know, more, have a more severe case of what his syndrome Soto syndrome. And I I always knew, I was always told, but it was just something that I didn't think of because he was a baby, but like they said, mm-hmm. you know, you you will be able to go through IVF. There will be a way to figure it out to find the gene to make sure that the child he's having won't have it because I can't imagine him, you know, being a father to a child that has his syndrome. It's just it's just impossible. And that's for a lot of cases, a lot of people with rare diseases, I'm sure it's the same. Yeah.
1: And I I think the concept of IVF, I mean, there's so many, as I'm sure, you know, people have their opinions and people um, love to just voice how they feel, which is totally fine. But um, I think the idea, like if I had the technology, if I had the means, you know, IVF is not cheap, but if I have the means to do it, if I Mm -hmm. have the option to do it, that is an investment in my child's future and their health. Like how I, I think to myself bringing it, if I had the option to bring a child into the world without EB, I would do that because I think about myself and my childhood and the trauma and the scars and, and overall just, I turned out okay. <laughs> you know, I, I got through it, but to just the bravery that my parents had to endure and, 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 display with me and the straight faces and the brave faces that they had to give me when I was scared and in hospital and all those various procedures. It's like, I I don't know if I would have that. I'm sure I would find that fight within me, but if I have an option to give birth to a child without EB, I mean, I want to take that. And so it's, it's a long avenue. It's a long road. You have to do a lot of gene therapy and um, genetic testing and, and it's, it's, it's a long journey and um, eventually we'll, we'll get there and we'll make our decision what we're doing. But uh, at this point, it's, it's nice to know that that exists.
0: Tell me if you can about some of the troubles that you endured when you were young, because I I guess we haven't even touched on the idea that right now you're, you know, you're a television host, you've hosted um, national shows, you are a public figure that most people in Canada, if they say your name, they know who you are, you're beautiful. You're like for so many, (laughs) for so many, this is all true. And for so many young girls, they hear your name and they like aspire to be like you, but yet you're, you have suffered from a a disease that is a visual disease that could I could imagine being in you know the schoolyard and what that would be like if you did have blisters on your face I, I you know what was that like yeah. for you
1: Growing up with EB has taught me just to be humble kind and empathetic to people because. I remember, you know, obviously everyone's got their bully stories in various con- in various forms throughout their life. And for me, growing up with EB, you know, kids, kids called me like bubble, bubble kid and blister girl and lizard because my name's Liz and I had lizard skin. And, you know, those are some of the nicer ones. <laughs> um, but I think overall, I found a really core group of great friends in elementary school who stood up for me, my older brother was at school as well. And um, it was just challenging as far as life experiences with being a kid, you know, going to the beach was just not an option for me, because the risk of infection with the sand getting in my blisters was just too high, or, you know, playing various sports and running cross country, just not really an option. Um, I once had a teacher in the fourth grade. um, We you know how the whole school does a cross country thing and they all run around the school and all that stuff. So I went to go. I went to the teacher and said I can't run like I have a blister I have a skin condition. She's like you don't have a skin condition just 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 run. And so I did I ran and that night my mom and dad had to spend like hours on skincare because my feet were just destroyed and raw and blistered. And you can imagine as a parent going into the principal's office the next day saying like yeah. there needs to be a change. You cannot ta- You cannot say that a child is lying. Um, you cannot say that you need to believe a child. And my daughter just spent hours doing skincare because of it. But you know, my parents were always of the mind- mindset that we're not going to hold her in a bubble. We're going to let her try things out if they work cool if not that's okay so i would try rollerblading and i would put an extra pair of socks in to have cushion and i would um when i when i was in the second grade i joined a t-ball team and i would hit the ball and my friend joey would run the bases for me because i couldn't run Yeah. and that story to me like still to this day brings me gets me misty because i think about when you're in the second grade, to have a friend just lean over and say, I got you, I'm going to help you through this. It's just Mm -hmm. what an incredible character. Mm -hmm. Um, And Joey, I kept in touch with all the way through high school and stuff. But it's just, you know, there are good, good memories out there. And I try and focus on those um, versus the traumatic ones. And I also think I don't take looks for granted. I don't take, you know, a picture day without a blister for granted. I don't I also have in my career learned to embrace it. It's like, you know, before I used to airbrush every scar and now I'm like, no, I'm going to like leave it. If I have a blister on my hand, I'm going to just talk with my blister on my hand. You know, like it's it's part of me. It's part of my story. And it's it's a talking point. I can, you know, raise awareness by people asking questions. So I think it's my duty in some ways to use my platform to spread the awareness for E.B.
0: For years, I have worried about oversharing. I don't know if this is something that you worry about as well. Um, now, we have different situations. I'm the mom, so I'm just telling my son's story. Uh, but, you know, it's like I'll post something on Instagram about my son and what he's going through. And then immediately right after, I'll post like a selfie of me and makeup and heels just to lighten the Instagram feed. And I'm wondering if you deal with what I'm dealing with.
1: I call it a vulnerability hangover. Sometimes like I overshare and I kind of like word vomit out everything because I want everybody to know everything and I'm very open and I'm kind of an open book. I do have to bear in mind that some people aren't ready to receive it. Um, but that being said, in my experience, the more i talked Obviously, there are some people who are going to have their their comments and their opinions. But for the most part, I have received nothing but admiration and and support. Um, And I've had messages from people being like, thank you so much for sharing your story and for being so honest and being so vulnerable and showing the other side of EB, because it's not all sunshine and and rainbows, you know, like it's. It's hard, and even the other day it was World um, World Rare Disease Day, and I posted some photos with my wounds, and I thought to myself, maybe this is too much for Instagram. And you know what? <laughs> it's
0: the same thing. It's it's so horrible that we're conditioned that way, and but you it did is. it anyway.
1: I did it anyway, and I didn't. You know, I'm sure there are some people came came across it in their feed because. the algorithm and stuff and maybe we're like a bit jarring it's a bit jarring for them but uh to me it's important to show that side that it's not all you know it's not all fake eyelashes and beautiful dresses and all of that good stuff like i do go through a lot of pain every morning and some mornings i wake up and i can't walk on the tiles in our bathroom and other mornings the idea of wearing a high heel is like the worst thing possible but we work around it and i mean i've just learn to share what I can share because this is my story and not feel so ashamed of it. You know, I think we owe it to everyone else to tell these journeys so we can break down that stigma of like, everything's so perfect. Look at my perfect life. Look at this gorgeous selfie. It's like, okay, that's a great selfie, but behind that selfie, you don't know what's going on. And I think that's also goes into growing up with EB is I've learned to look at the world with a kinder eye, and you don't know what someone's going through. You don't know if they have a mental illness. You don't know if they have a sick parent. You don't know if they're, they have a physical ailment that they're hiding. You don't know what someone's going through. And so if we as humans can all just be a bit more supportive and be a bit more honest, I think that's a great thing.
0: Do you have a butterfly tattoo?
1: That's such an interesting question because when I was growing up, my parents were like, I don't know if you can do tattoos with your skin condition. Oh. Then last year I met someone who's a tattoo artist. Okay. He is a tattoo artist and he's covered head to toe in, in tattoos. And he has EB. And he's like, no, your parents totally lied to you. And I was like, <laughs> what? what? Um, but that being said, I, I, I don't have a butterfly tattoo. I have a lot of butterflies in my life, like necklaces and earrings sure. and dresses and stuff. Um, if I were to get a tattoo, I would probably get a butterfly because yeah, I'm a you butterfly actually, child.
0: You're gonna be someone who can justify your butterfly tattoo. Everyone right, else is like, I have right. a butterfly on the back of my, uh, my my ass. And you're like, no, I I have a condition. You're like, so. I am a
1: butterfly. That's what they call us.
0: Well, Liz, thank you so much. This has been incredible. Uh, Thanks for coming on my podcast. Any last thoughts?
1: Emotionally, it's really hard to be a kid who is quote unquote different. It's just, it's a hard thing. But then when you grow up, you start to look back and you're like, everyone's different. Everybody's got something. Even that family that's picture perfect esque has something going on. And I think that's where I've stepped into embracing my story and trying to tell people about it versus hide it because I think it's only doing, it's only doing the world a better
0: service. The Butterfly Girl, Liz Trenier.